He's pulling up a definition because he wants to be exact. I, I, I am pulling up some research because I don't want to say anything stupid. Chase likes to be exact. Alright, alright, alright. You ready? All right. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Chase, have you ever just kind of been stumbling your way through the internet? And you see websites and you're like, oh no, this one is problematic. Yeah, yeah, and like you have to kind of just hold yourself back from poking at it a bit more because you don't want to go to jail and they don't have a bug bounty program. <laughs> and when you do that, usually when you look at those kinds of websites that you're like, man, there's just something here. Is it that's, you know, my hacker sense is tingling. Mm-hmm. You you start to go through like a list in your head of all of the things that you would want to check, right? Especially uh, if there's any endpoint or input points that look like sketchy as shit or something like that you know like uh yeah like here put your name in here or search using this box or something like that exactly but that's not gonna be our discussion point today right well sort of it's kind of in we want to talk about a little bit well i want to talk about a little bit and you know peek behind the curtains you're actually the one who came up with the idea of this episode but you know (laughs) i'm introing (laughs) but with that sort of same mindset that that having these lists of Common vulnerabilities that you go, hey, if I run up against something that gives me that sense, this is what I'm going to test. This is what mm-hmm. I'm going to run through. Yeah. We've talked about it a little bit in the past of like your, the hacker methodology, the me- uh, bleh, hold on. mindset. Right. The hacker yeah. methodology, the hacker mindset, the start from finish. How are you going to do this kind of attitude? But mm-hmm. there are organizations that help, you know, codify and create these lists in a curated way based off of active research data or active information on the internet. One such resource specifically for web applications is called OWASP or open web application security project, but we're going to keep calling it OWASP because that's too much to say every time they fairly regularly go about creating a top 10 list of uh, web-based vulnerabilities that uh, have gained notoriety, traction, popularity, something and creates this list that we can consume, right? Do you want to kind of go through the the history of OWASP real quick? Yeah, and to clarify, that list is not specific vulnerabilities, but vulnerability categories. It's more generalized instead of being like, hey, this specific, like Apache Struts vulnerability is in our top 10. It's more of like broken access control, server-side request forgery, cross-site scripting, things like that. Yeah, so OWASP was started in 2001, and then the top 10 list was first published in 2003, and it's been updated consistently since then. So the current top 10 list is from 2021, and it consists of number one being broken access control, which is going to be our topic today, number two being cryptographic failures, number three being injection, whether that's SQL, LDAP, PHP, what, what have you, number four being insecure design. Number five being security misconfiguration. Number six being vulnerable and outdated components. Number seven is identification and authentication failures. Number eight is software and data integrity failures. Number nine is uh, the one Sam's most excited to discuss, security logging and monitoring failures. (laughs) And number 10 is server-side request forgery. So we're launching this as kind of a series on each of these vulnerabilities so we can discuss the history of the vulnerabilities, uh, how they work, what mistakes led to the vulnerabilities being able to be exploited, 
uh, why are they so common, and then instances where we may have seen that in the wild or exploited it ourselves in the past. And so that's kind of how we view this series. Um, so that's what we're going to be going through today. We're going to be discussing broken access control. In looking at the list, I, haven't, I don't think I've actually looked at it for this last year. Not that it's not important. I've just been busy with other things, but... <laughs> I was kind of busy. No, (laughs) it's kind of surprised to see broken access controls up at the top. I'm used to it being in the top 10 somewhere, but I, I'm more used to it being, you know, I think usually like five, seven, somewhere in there. Right. Yeah. I believe it was number five and then it got moved up to number one this year, uh, which is good on it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's really been working hard story. Yeah. Yeah. Broken access control has really been putting in the effort. (laughs) And so now it's the number one vulnerability for a wasp. So, a little bit of speculation on my part. I wonder if the reason that that has grown in popularity, or maybe not even popularity, but existence within the environments, is if that's API-driven. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the testing we've been doing lately is around a lot of API activities, right? So, I wouldn't be shocked that, you know, when we're talking broken access controls, one of the first things that crossed my mind is, you know, a borked kind of uh, access workflow yeah. from an API's perspective. Yeah, and broken access control by itself is a fairly broad mm-hmm. category. I mean, all the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities are typically fairly broad until you get down to the specifics like server-side request forgery. That's probably the most specific, narrowly defined uh, vulnerability in OWASP's top 10. But broken access control, uh, one of the things that I've most commonly seen it is with authorization issues. So users having access to things either that they shouldn't have access to based on their uh, permission level or having access to assets that they wouldn't have access to regardless of their permission level, like administrative functions. I remember one of our clients had us do this ASM engagement where we were looking at their entire external web uh, footprint and they had these series of sites that were uh, extremely deprecated. They were old. A lot of the things were broken. And as the site just got older, uh, the access controls and the authorizations and all that just, it broke. It just flat out broke. And so we were able to do things where as an unprivileged user, just through force browsing uh, the site, we were able to access like a file manager where we can upload things, which also allowed us to enumerate the web server even more because you can see just all the files. You can pull down Mm -hmm. source code. We were able to do pretty much everything outside of getting just direct code execution, which was extremely frustrating for me because I spent way too much time going down that broken ass <laughs> janky web app but uh yeah yeah that one was fun and interesting i think being able to like force browse to things yeah is one of my favorite examples of broken access control just it's an easy win if you uh have the right like word list when you're doing the directory brute forcing with like fuff or derb or if you're a masochist derbuster um <laughs> and among other tools there's a million tools that do directory brute forcing yeah, I think that's probably one of my favorite examples of broken access control outside of what Sam was mentioning when it came to APIs, because APIs are fun. Yeah, well, so on the forced browsing, that one's always interesting because it's like you can come up to like, say, well, just example.com slash admin, mm-hmm. right? And there should be some form of authentication page there, right? Yep. Like user, you know, password, login, you know, expecting a certificate, something there, right? And where forced browsing comes in is if you just happen to go, okay, let's enumerate beyond admin. So let's <laughs> let's check all of the directories that might come after admin. Yep. And you can. Like, you can actually end up browsing to admin.index, which that is indicative that, hey, they thought about it. 
the the developers of that site the the ones who designed that access control they went well we need to protect this let's let's put some authorization in place and then surprise it doesn't carry weight yeah (laughs) broken access control always reminds me of you remember that episode of arrested development by by me saying always reminds me i mean in this specific instance where we're talking about it it reminded me of this (laughs) not that i'm always thinking about this every single time i see broken access control but Remember that episode of Arrested Development where they had to build the fake house mm. and then it just like fell down and there was just like nothing inside. That's just kind of what broken access control feels to me. Like just you have a, like a locked door and then just no walls around it. See, I just assume you, you meant that uh, Arrested Development is on constant loop in your mind, which I'm still convinced by that no matter what you say now. Um, not necessarily Arrested Development specifically, but most comedies from <laughs> like 2003 to now. Pretty much, yeah. Like I just on loop. I I don't know if I actually say anything original or if it's just a random hodgepodge of quotes from TV shows nowadays. <laughs> like, in like not even TV shows too, but like SNL skits. Like one of the things I do the most is like uh, anytime someone says something like, "Oh, I have to go do this" or "I gotta do this." Like I there's this one SNL skit where Bill Hader plays uh, Keith Morrison from Dateline. And he's talking to a serial killer, and the guy was like, oh, yeah, so I grabbed my machete, and he's like, oh, you gotta. And that, like, anytime anyone's like, oh, I gotta go do this, I'm like, oh, you gotta. So I just, I don't think I actually have any original. I don't think I say anything original. I think it's just deep quotes that no one else remembers except for me. That I, <laughs> That is one of my earlier memories of, like, meeting you as a person. It was just like, do his references never stop? He's got no. them all. He has every <laughs> every reference. Carson was really so. good about that too. Like we would make extremely deep cut references to each other and like we would both just instantly like know what the other person was referencing. Couldn't have you two in a meeting together. Um chaos. <laughs> Communication <laughs> breaks down. Absolutely. So, okay. Now, back on track a little bit. So, we <laughs> That wasn't on topic? <laughs> no, not entirely. Um force browsing it, where, you know, there is an intent of access controls that we could just walk around it it's like Mm -hmm. having a fence that's not long enough right yeah so we've mentioned apis twice so what are do you have any examples of broken or missing access controls for apis yeah so there's been some instances where we've come across sites that it looks like they just configured it and then left it and so it even has like the api reference of how to use it and how to uh use like various functions and all that that would be just extremely difficult to enumerate if it wasn't laid out there for us so we appreciate it when they do that and so, especially for that client that we had the big ASM engagement for, we found several of these where we can perform functions like doing searches, we can pull up administrative functions in like a limited way. I don't think we were able to exploit it to the fullest extent at any point. But being able just to like access these resources through just specified post or put requests, some get, but uh, without like any sort of authentication needed or anything like that, which is just a, you know, big no-no. Like you don't want to give attackers anything. You know, even yeah. if it's like, oh, this is this doesn't seem like a big deal. Just any amount of access information that they can ob- obtain can be used to facilitate an attack against your organization. And so, like, an API might seem harmless, but you never know how someone can abuse that to cause an impact until it happens. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so <laughs> my example for APIs, I actually had the privilege of doing a dedicated application test uh, against an authentication API, which is <laughs> really apt for this discussion. Thomas, who was on that with me, he actually identified a a weakness in the way that the password reset function was designed. And essentially because of the, there was no access control in place to limit us 
to request our own authentication token. So essentially, this didn't really work off of traditional two-factor authentication. It would send to your registered email a six-digit number. And then if you wanted to change your password or log in or things like that, you would have to you know, provide the password and then sub or you didn't have to provide the old password, actually. All you had to do was submit that six-digit token, and then it let you update the password. Well, because, A, there wasn't any additional access controls in place from us requesting that API, and all we needed to do was know, either know or have control over the email address of our target, yeah. and we could more, more or less speed through the entire process, and uh, the API let us then submit the, the six-digit token, but we could guess it. Like because it's six digits and there was no controls in place on like how many times you could guess or how many times you could submit it before it reset the token. Was it six we, digits alphanumeric or just numbers? Just six numbers. Just six numbers. Okay. Yeah, I guess digit six numbers. numbers, which is a stupid question <laughs> in retrospect, but yeah, that's ridiculous because that's what ten to the six combinations, which is a million, I think combinations. Yeah, just shy of nothing, that. Nothing. Nothing in the grand scheme of things. So, Right. And the other, the only control they had around the token was it was a 10 minute reset. So if that token wasn't used within 10 minutes, it would either reset or nullify the token. Mm -hmm. So we could, you know, in less than a minute, go through this process. So initiate the, the token request without even having access to the email, you know, or anything like that. We just knew the email we were going after. Yeah. So all, when, all within the API, no GUI, nothing like that. All within the API, do this request and then post the all of our guesses of what the token is. And as soon as it gives you the two, uh, the 200, like, hey, you got it, then it you can change the password to anything you want. Like, Jesus. No, no questions asked. So it allowed us to take control over any account because there was no consistent or clear or really well-defined uh, access controls to that yeah. API. Yeah, that, that's bad. Uh, this kind of <laughs> reminded me of that, but this is unrelated to broken access control, but there was one point when we were doing an uh, engagement on a client, and one of their externally facing sites, if you register for it, it sends you an email, and it's like, hey, you just registered an account, here's your email, and here's the password you put in. And so we are like, mm, nope, should not be giving us a password in plain text, that means they're storing it in plain text, that's bad. And so we made the recommendation to fix that, and then the next year, we came back, and we were doing remediation testing to make sure they fixed all the findings that we identified, and give them a list of ones they didn't if they weren't fully fixed. And I registered for that account, and it was the exact same format. It was like, hey, here's your email, and then here's your password, and it just let the password you entered. <laughs> like, they didn't change their email format whatsoever, and for some reason, I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world to me. <laughs> like, it just said in text, like, the password you entered, and yeah, that was funny, because it's just, it's unnecessary to have that regardless, but... Yeah, it's... I think a lot of the intent there is like, hey, let's make it accessible. But in, in the same vein, you know, when we talk about accessibility, it's good times for accessibility, but then there's also like unnecessary am <laughs> amount yeah. of leniency with accessibility. Hence, broken access control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, don't store passwords in plain text. And if you do, don't send them to email, uh, over email to people. Like, why? 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 <laughs> why would you do that? Yeah. So... What are some other interesting access control issues that you've noticed in the past? <laughs> the ones I think I like the most are when you could just modify some parameter, like the URL or something like that. So like if you log into an application, it's like www.application.com question mark user equals uh, Lindquist or something like that. Just changing that user equals parameter to be admin and then you have access <laughs> to that count is hilarious to me. And that gets me uh, 
going with that like really depressed upset sigh that mike hears a lot that he talked about in that episode but uh that's so funny the, oh <sighs> that, yeah that yeah. one well you just reminded me of a time that we had of where it's important to test from a user context to see, you know, <laughs> if your permissions exist beyond where they should. Because we had one situation where we had just a base standard user account. So, you know, for though for general awareness, when we do things like what we refer to as our uh, BAAs or business adversarial uh, assessment, assessment. Wow, I got stuck. <laughs> <laughs> we do our business adversarial assessments. We really we want to go and like find everything out from of that specific application that we're testing against. And usually we we will request like a, a standard user or as close to a standard user as they can provide and yep. then an admin user, right? So we can do that kind of testing of like let's look at the access controls and make sure that they're actually segregated, making sure that an admin is has access to admin stuff and the user does not. Right. So we're doing a BAA, you know, we're, we're clacking along. We've got our, our little basic user account. And next thing I know, I'm like, okay, I see the admin pages. So I, I log into my admin account. I'm like, okay, this is what the admin panel looks like. Right. I can go over here to like admin slash manage users dot. I think it was ASP or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way this will work, but let's try it. So for, I switch back to my user account and I, direct browse to uh, application dot or slash admin slash manage users dot ASP. Boom. I have access. I can't access slash admin, but I can access this manage users. And what can I do in that manage users panel? Chase, you ask. I can elevate my privileges. I didn't really give you time to answer, but you would have gotten to the, the same conclusion. <laughs> so it, you know, that's another example of how they having access controls being clearly defined between base user and an admin user or a base user and an elevated user of any kind helps protect the application helps protect the data because then and that ad if i can elevate myself to an admin status then i got access to the whole application i can manage data remove data clean things out change passwords all that fun stuff and that's bad that's bad news chase did you fall asleep insert technical difficulties music here this is the, the Sam episode. Are you wanting to see how your organization may stack up against the dedicated attacker? Well, feel free to hit us up at blackmanagecurry.com slash contact us. Be sure to mention the podcast. All right. Well, uh, my computer froze, which was fun because that's the first time this has ever happened. It happened to do so just right in the middle of us recording. So hopefully you didn't say anything important, Sam. Uh, you know, I was just trying to fill time. I assume that we probably spliced in some like music to fill the void let's get some like elevator music or something like that maybe like the community one just like speaking of community rumors of a movie six seasons in a movie <laughs> anyways so back on topic i don't remember exactly where we were but we were talking about broken access controls at the core so there's one other type of so i guess my vision for the rest of this uh this episode chase since we've kind of gone double off the rails because just chaos chaos yeah it's, it's friday chaos over here one of the more common or like i want maybe you want to call it more trivial examples of broken access controls are path traversals right mm -hmm. so can you explain to the folks that who are who are unaware of what path traversals are kind of what happens with those yeah path traversal is a method of basically accessing resources that are not in the web directory. So a common one, especially for Linux 
web hosts is to do something like www.application.com slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash Etsy slash password. Being able to try and pull something from like the root directory or some config files that are outside the web root, things like that are common ways of doing this like directory traversals. Mm -hmm. One of the more enjoyable things to do is if you can chain that with like an unrestricted file upload where you can upload uh, basically like any file type. So if it's a PHP web application, you upload a PHP. Oftentimes that's stored outside of the web directory to prevent shenanigans like what we're talking about. But if you have a path traversal, you can reference that regardless of where they put it. You just have to find it, which can be right. a pain in the ass if you don't have the source code. Yeah, so path traversal in and of itself can sometimes be minor, but if you can pull like config files and get user passwords for the web application, or if you can access uh, resources or chain it, something like that, they can be very, very, very dangerous. Yeah, so kind of the big thing there is it really depends on the access controls that are established for mm -hmm. the, usually the service, what should be, what should be a service account running the web application itself, yeah. right? What should be. I not. say should be because yeah. we've seen user accounts used to run user web applications. System. And, administrative accounts yeah it's yeah. bad bad times but so when that if that service account is not you know we we talk about this all the time in security the the concept of least privilege right mm -hmm. where you want to make sure that the accounts that you have to create only have access to what they need to accomplish their task or if it's a you know an actual human behind that account that account what their job is yeah. right so we'll use that as an a, an example here. If you know we set up this web application, we'll call it uh, chase'sblog.com, right? So Chase writes this fun little Python Flask web application that he's designed himself. Super excited about it, and then he hosts it on like uh, Linode or something like that. Well, if you just host it and run the the web application using the root account for that Linode box, then you know the the path traversal vulnerability that you didn't realize you coded into your your application or maybe even flask comes out and has a vulnerability itself right the thing that you didn't know is there then becomes a whole lot of a a whole lot larger of a problem yep. right especially if we're talking system level or root level access right so then you know little hacker tommy comes along and he goes oh let's do my basic or basic file of checking everything and path traversal is so easy to test for and it's just easy to just try it out, right? So goes after chasesblog.com and boom, does path traversal all the way back to like what Chase said is root uh, or Etsy password, right? Yep. Or Etsy shadow, right? Those two, between those two files, if little hacker Timmy pulls out, down those files, then that's bad news bears because you're going to start cracking passwords. Yeah, obviously Etsy shadow is more dangerous. Etsy password, I think it's just a, it's just a really common one to test because it's consistently in the same location. So you're not going to have to worry about like finding any files or anything like that. And it's right. just a good way to validate that the uh, traversal exists. Etsy Shadow. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, I granted, I have seen on engagements Etsy Password actually having passwords in it. But it happens. don't do that. Just, just that's <laughs> usually... Usually, I would say don't, that is generally a CTF kind of thing, but that's not that. always the case. Don't run web applications as elevated users. Just stop it. If you're thinking Just about doing that, get some help. Get some help. <laughs> so that's really, I think at the core, that is really the, the biggest issue here, 
we, yeah. when we talk broken access control is the leaving sort of that realm of least privilege or you know not validating you know the the technical technical controls that are in place that protect that least privilege so you know without methods to sit down and go oh hey chase's account can access this admin panel shit <laughs> <laughs> that's you know that's a problem that's not how that was designed yep. so you know that's where groups like us like what well, one of the things we're testing for constantly and it that's why i'm like I'm not entirely shocked that this made its way back or made its way up to the top of OWASP because these are quick wins man and like going back to the topic of like path traversal when i was talking about when you can chain it that is absolutely my favorite thing to do is to chain multiple like low cvss to moderate cvss vulnerabilities to demonstrate a critical risk because like a lot of people they see those and they're like oh, it's a low number. That's not that big of a deal. But like when you can chain it and provide the context to that to where like, yeah, that one's not that great. But when I chain it with these three other moderates, we take over your web server entirely and we have access to your internal network. I, just, I love that. I love that shit. <laughs> well, and that's the basis for like a lot of the times when we end up getting web shells, right? Yeah. That's that whole, like like what you were saying. It's like you've got path traversal and then you've got Lyle, local file inclusion. So with those two things, we can throw up you know, if it's a PHP web server, we can toss a PHP web shell on there. And then we browse to it because we know where we put it because of the path traversal. And boom, we've got a web shell. And if that's elevated access, woohoo, <laughs> we have the server. We, yep. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know how else to, you know, least privilege is really, <laughs> it's really where that comes down to. That's the, uh, yeah, that's the, the lesson for today. Well, actually, there's two. So least privilege or denial. <laughs> so that's, you know, I think that's the other kind of, when you're especially talking web applications, deny access to everything and then slowly let people have what they need. Yep. Don't start from an open architecture. So don't start from an open design and then close things off because then you're going to miss stuff. Yeah. If you start closed on everything, if you start denial, it's the same concept with firewalls too, really. But you build out your access controls with the concept of least privilege from the start. So default by deny by default. When we talk firewalls, deny any, any right, right yeah. at the end. That should be your base rule everywhere. Yeah. It is much, much easier to deny all and account for exceptions than it is to start just trying to deny what you don't want. World's easier. <laughs> yeah. Chasing down, chasing down the, all of the times that you're letting water in through the dam instead of just building it. The... No, that's a terrible analogy. <laughs> I take that one back. <laughs> you um, know what I meant. Yeah, like, it, it's a lot easier to patch a hole in a boat than it is to, like, go out to the open ocean and act like you're a boat. Not I don't really know if that works. Making, I don't know no. if that makes sense. But we're, we're just going to keep it going. <laughs> we're... We're just not good at analogies today. I found if you just kind of say an analogy confidently and keep going with it, usually it doesn't really matter if it makes sense. Most people don't even think about it. That I think that's how I've ended up where I'm at. And also, Leah hates it when I do that because I do, it all, <laughs> do that kind of thing all the time. So I guess really that I don't know how else to really talk about prevention there. That's at the core concept. Yes, there's there are more specific preventative measures that can be taken at a per application basis, right? Yep. But if you design an application with the concept of deny by default at the core and then 
you know, limit access to what is necessary, then you're you're setting yourself up for a better chance of success. Yep. And then in the same vein with kind of APIs, right? Establish an access control method early with your API, right? So design it so someone, if they want to use their your API, they have to go register and get a key. Make sure that that key is used and validated every time that they're doing things with the API outside of some very basic like Git functions, right? Yeah. Like to pull down some basic data. Having anything where you can manage put or post messaging outside of the the posting of the authentication token to validate is just asking for the opportunity for something to be set up incorrectly. Yep. Like I've, I know we've stressed this in the past, but it is always easier to build something with security in mind than it is to build it and then come back later and try to add security. That rings true for applications. That rings true for networks, like everything. If you build like a network for your company from the ground up with security in mind, with network segmentation, uh, with like all that shit, it is way easier to do that than it is to come back to it like 30 years later and try and add security. Hell, even like a year later and trying to add security is miserable. <laughs> I know that there's been some personal projects that I've worked on and then didn't touch for a year and I go back and I'm like, I don't, I don't remember what I was doing. I don't know anything here. <laughs> Trying to segment an active network while oh. it's being used is hard. Network segmentation right. is a hard long-term project if you're doing it after the fact. And like Sam and I have a lot of experience, especially at our former life of a company being around for a long time before like security was a thing, before standards were needed. And <laughs> trying to do that retroactively is horrible. <laughs> Absolutely the case. So I want to hit on a couple of uh, the other common you know, bro broken access control topics or CWEs. I don't know if we can really go through to the fullest extent of these because we're, I don't want to go too far over our time. But yeah. this, so little asterisk here, this episode might be a little bit short due to technical difficulties. <laughs> I don't know. Just like, just blame teams. I'm, I, I am, I'm going to blame teams. At the end of the day, I'm going to blame Mike, you know? You know, absolutely fair. I think that's yeah. fair. And this is the real test to see if he's been listening to these episodes. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting a note from our PM, Leah. She's saying that it's more than okay to blame Mike. So, yeah. <laughs> this is where Leah is seething because she has not set up Audacity on her own machine to record her reaction. She'll edit it later. <laughs> She's going to add an editor. She just messaged us. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> oh, man. You've. Unleash the floodgates. <laughs> so some other common weaknesses or exploits that fall under the sort of broken access controls. One of the big ones is cross-site request forgery. Insecure temporary files, you know, direct requests like we were talking about, like forced browsing. Exposed whistles um, oh, that have sensitive whistles. information. Good old whistles. Uh Is Whistler still a thing for Burp Suite? Yeah, that's a uh, Burp extension. Is Okay. Because yeah, yeah, so I, I don't know if it was fallen out or not. Whistler, I think there might be another one. They're very good burp extensions for understanding Whistles and figuring out how you might be able to exploit them. And so, I, God, I've not used Burp Community in a long time. I can't remember if the extension store is active for Burp Community, but for Burp Pro, definitely recommend grabbing Whistler if you come across anything like that. Whistles are just fun. They just give you information. It's fun. Yeah, the, the Burp store, I believe, has is available in the Community Edition, but you don't have access to all of the extensions. Okay. Yeah, I haven't used the community edition in like three years, like before I started at BLS, so I don't remember it 
a lot. And then for those who haven't really worked with them before, WSDLs are kind of this web service. So WSDL stands for it's WSDL, Web Service Description Language. And it's really this kind of XML-based endpoint that allows you to, or it's supposed to help you interact with the web service. And using something like Wizzler then more or less unwinds that the Wiz the Wizzle endpoint and helps you find any kind of sensitive or overly verbose or misconfigured pieces to that web service. It can get really weird. Oh, here <laughs> here's a really simple one that we didn't talk about: missing missing authorization. So well, we kind of <laughs> talked about it. That's a little that a little falls bit. a little bit under force browsing because that that's the reason why you can force browse is either missing or broken authorization. Yeah, but we also didn't talk about when like you come up upon come up to like a login panel and just hit enter. That's fair. Oh my like, god. <laughs> based on your reaction, how many times have we run into that? It's not often, but it's more than it should be. <laughs> yeah, I think like two or three for me. And then also if your cookie is just terrible, like I I can't remember exactly if it was like this, but there's one point where the cookie was just a base sixty four encoded username. So you can just change oh. the username. Change to admin. Base yep. 64 encode it yourself and boom. Yep. So it really depresses me when our job is that easy sometimes. <laughs> well, and then when I think of like missing authorization or broken authorization specifically for like login panels like that, my mind immediately goes to like IoT devices. Like, mm -hmm. There's some of the worst when it comes to that oh, yeah. because it's they're, they're terrible. They're put together hastily. They're designed to be only accessible from a local network. And when the number of IoT devices that either just get accidentally exposed to the internet or are very quickly accessible from another site, it becomes problematic because they're not, you know, IoT security is not, <laughs> has not always been high on the list of people's uh, uh, secure design uh, no. workflows. And they're everywhere. It's getting better. It is getting better. I will say that, but yeah. not quickly. <laughs> yeah, we find that with like cameras, uh, printers, phones. And when you say phones, you mean like desktop phones, like like you know, IP the, phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of our uh, one of our operators, his name's Cody, but that's one of his uh, areas of preference or specialty is IP phones. Like we, if we go onto a site and all of a sudden we hear Cody go, "I, I have access to all of their phones," and it's like, "Okay, Cody, <laughs> yeah, we've uh, been here for ten minutes." <laughs> I think one of my most fun things recently is I found a. Uh, fingerprint scanner for like accessing doors or uh, they also used it to like track time too which <laughs> you're i was able to pull the backups to the fingerprint scanner and it had like biometric oh. data for people and then also like usernames and passwords and shit so that was that was fun just no authorization requirement to pull those backups which i appreciated weird attack scenario on that change everybody's biometric data to your own <laughs> so that way open any door i have the skeleton key <laughs> or what i, I was thinking the skeleton the... key the like time logging everybody who tries to log in or log their time it's just logging time for you <laughs> super overtime <laughs> that, that's i mean i get it because it's kind of like punch codes kind of deal yeah. but i mean the first i worked at wendy's when i was a teenager and the way we clocked in was we had to put in the last four of our social into the, the oh. register yeah, yeah I, I don't like that i don't like the usage of biometrics to track time like that. Like, I get it. It makes sense. Still don't like it. Like, no, I don't like it. But, you know, simpler age. It it feels like quasi-dystopian to me. Oh, you don't you don't like your company having uh, all of your biometric information about you? No. Like, Granted, I was in the OPM breach, so all my 
shit's already out there, like including I'm pretty sure my fingerprints and stuff like that. Like thanks yeah. U.S. government, but uh, you're, yeah, I'm still you're, not a fan. You're like you're essentially a statue, right? Yeah. People can come up and get whatever information they want about you. If they yeah. really want to, they just put a piece of paper against your face and do a, a charcoal rubbing. Yeah, there's almost something freeing about it though when you're like, <laughs> well, <laughs> my information's already gone, so doesn't matter anymore you know i don't think that's the attitude we're supposed to be encouraging <laughs> yeah but it helps me sleep at night so that's i'll fair. keep going with it remember kids if you sell your own information on the dark web you don't need to worry about hackers getting it <laughs> yeah at least get get what you do <laughs> yeah I, I don't remember where i read it but somebody was like proposing having letting people be their own data brokers and it's like why do other companies get money off of my data can't i just sell my own data yeah so that's an interesting concept just gonna sell um, medical records. Oh no! Please don't do that, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I'm gonna sell yours instead. I believe it. It's okay. I don't go to the doctor. <laughs> I immediately is starting rails. to type. <laughs> um, okay, so any, <laughs> I think we're being told by our uh, editing producer to cool it and cut the podcast because we're off the rails guys well, she, it's well, friday it's the end of the day friday i've had a very long day yeah so i apologize the direction that this podcast has gone <laughs> yeah you know i'm gonna be on pto too so i'm like past the point you oh know? you're doubly bad yeah yeah so i guess on that note any closing thoughts or perspective when it comes to broken access control and maybe just OWASP in general just developers be better I know we've said that on the podcast before, especially with Paul on, but like design your apps with security from the ground up because oftentimes that's going to be a really common entry point into the internal network. Poorly designed applications, like that's the most common way outside of phishing. Yeah. And so just design your applications with security from the ground up. There are numerous resources, tools uh, out there to help you do that. There's numerous uh, ways to like teach yourself secure coding. It's just going to make your life much easier doing it now rather than doing it years later when someone like Samurai hacks it and tells you <laughs> to fix it. Or if a bad guy does it, that's even worse. But just, just, I, I, just fix stuff. I, like, let's make OWASP Top 10 just disappear completely. Like, let's, you know, just secure design all the web apps so, so <laughs> there's no vulnerabilities anymore. I know that's never actually ever going to happen. And I'm pretty sure it's physically impossible. Yeah. Well, then we're, we're out of a job and then we have to become developers. Yeah. Ugh. It's physically impossible to happen, but yeah, we definitely live in a, we work in a weird field, Sam, because we're basically actively, I mean, we've said it on the podcast before, but we're actively trying to work ourselves out of a job. And, yeah. I, that is like, I've got two backup plans. If security ever improves to the point where they don't need me, then I'm going to either go be a developer and quietly sit, you know, and just ha like tack away at a, a web application and create or, the vulnerabilities that way they need you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like Bring a fireman setting fire to something to be a hero. <laughs> I need to be needed. Or I'm just going to go off and start my own metery. So, you know, these are my plans. Yeah. If It's always funny when you hear like senior folks in like security or technical fields and they're like, yeah, what do you, you know, what do you want to do in retirement? Or if, if this went all went away, what would you do? And most of them are like, go work on a farm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I never want to be near a computer ever again. <laughs> so. And then the, my my closing thought on broken access control is really just least privilege is really just that's if I could stress that over and over again is, you know, set up service accounts that are dedicated just to your web applications, set up service accounts that are dedicated to your databases, make sure that there's not a crazy amount of overlap in those access controls and, you know, 
Keep it safe. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. All right. Well, thank you all. For... <laughs> I like that I just stopped talking. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. If you're interested in working for Black Lantern, we need people. Please. I. We need people so Sam and I are less busy so that we can record more podcast episodes. But go to... <laughs> It's you want more podcasts? Come work for us. This podcast it. is cyclical. We started the podcast to get more people so we could have more time to record the podcast. <laughs> it's a paradox, but uh, yeah. Or no, it's not a paradox. It's a... Uh... Yeah, keep going. Oh, shit. Recursive. It's recursive. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so go to www.blacklearnsecurity.com slash careers if you're interested in seeing some of our openings. We have ASM analyst roles, which are more of an entry-level type position. You'll work very closely with Sam, and you'll save his sanity. Uh, and then we also <laughs> have blue team, red team. Uh, I think there's still project management positions like that. So just, yeah, come check it out. You can hang out with us, you know. See We're how also goes. looking for developers. Also looking for developers, yeah. Follow us on anyport underscore pod. We finally got that down. <laughs> got that right. And there will be a Discord invite link in the description. Come join that. If you want to yell at us, that's a great place to do it. Absolutely. You have anything to add, Sam? No. It's Friday. I still have deliverables to do. Oh,